Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
really messed me up at first. Felt like I was back to falling through the blackness for eons with no idea when it was going to stop. But whereas last time I didn't see much, maybe some colors, this time I started to see these little twinklings, like sparkling stars that were really far away. They started to get stronger the closer they got. And then I started making out the details. There were shapes to the stars. They weren't, well, big balls of burning gas, as I had thought, or something else entirely. I could pick out corners and shapes and dimensions and realize they were physical objects. One looked like a yo-yo, another a charred piece of wood. One was a data pad that seemed really familiar, another a ticket stub. And then I was able to make out a wooden woman figurine, one that had been found in only one place I was aware of. Roanoke. Okay, that was something. Something concrete. I won't say it made sense, but it's something I could start to wrap my mind around. So the ticket stub was Avalon in the casino on Catalina. Man, that felt like a few hundred years ago. And the data pad was Mars on that Martian base where I met Monica for the first time. Also feels like centuries ago. Hey, watch it, Buster. No, in, in a totally good way. I feel like we've been together for a long time because we get along so well. Okay, you may proceed. But know that I'm fucking watching you. <laughs> so, getting back to the data pet. That was one of the talismans we've been picking up from the places we've been visiting. Mostly. I don't know. I think there were probably one or two places I know I went to that I forgot to pick up a, a minto, shall we say. Well, we went back to Mars just to get the data pad. Which was bloody worth it, as it had my video message from Mum on it. <laughs> You're right, honey. Totally fucking worth it. But I know there were a couple of places when I was looking for Jake that I was sure I didn't bring something back. Yeah, that was kind of my point. I know I missed some, too. Maybe it's not that big of a deal or something. Maybe things balance out in the end. Or maybe we're helping cause the slow but sure complete breakdown of the entire universe and all life as we know it. Whoa there. Yeah, let's steer away from the apocalyptic life-ending scenarios and stick with Jake's story. How's that sound? So then there was this piece of charred wood which I remember bringing back from that world where everything was burning and terrible. Yeah, sorry Steve. Guess we're not done with the apocalyptic shit yet. But I'm just calling them like I see them. But that place was just really bad. And the person I met there, Rana, she gave me this. And the yo-yo? That was from those two British guys who seemed a lot like Holmes and Watson. And then more of the artifacts became clear and I started recognizing them all. One of them was a playing card with a golden O, which had the map table in the middle. Yeah, that one was a tarot card from Kalila Stormfire. One badass name. <laughs> and one badass person. Well, it kept getting bigger, coming closer toward me, making the other ones seem lesser. Then it got real big, and before I knew it, I was tumbling through that now giant O and falling toward the image of the map table.
I think at this point, I was going through the same sensory overload that Steve went through. Being aware of where I was and what I was experiencing without actually seeing it with my own eyes. Zhang, were you involved in my journey like you were with Steve's? No comment. Wow, nice comeback, Zhang. I could tell I was now somehow inside the map table. I know I made a joke way back when Monica and I were spitballing about what the map table might actually be and how it all works. I said it was like that crazy scene from Lost with Desmond in the hatch, who had to keep doing these reports every day and sending them through this pneumatic tube and had no idea where they were going. And in one episode, the viewers actually get to see where this special tube with all these sealed reports leads to, and it turns out to be nowhere. An open tube that just spits them out every day into this big pile of waste and pointlessness. Okay, sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. And it wouldn't be the first time. And we love those tangents anyway, don't we, Mom? Of course. I was totally kidding. Well, it wasn't so much the ending of where the pneumatic tube led that I was getting at, but that sense of this tube. And not just one, but hundreds of them. One for every number. One for every artifact. And one for every door. And I could feel all these tubes leading away from the map table and going off to different places in space and time. It's like an umbrella. Huh? Yeah, I'm not following either. I have an idea where Jake is going with this. So when you open an umbrella, there are all these long spoke things going up and then reaching out to hold the umbrella open. Well, if you trace them all the way back, they come together in the handle. And that's what the map table is like, the handle of the umbrella, with all these spokes or artifacts or timelines spreading out far and wide. Make sense? Okay, gotcha. As I had surmised. You know, there's another metaphor that uses spokes and is a lot simpler. Really? Ever heard of a bicycle wheel? Oh yeah, that would have been much better. And this is why I keep you around? Keep me? (laughs) I think you'll find it's the fucking opposite. I'm keeping you around, Buster. (laughs) Right, I was just testing you. Right. But the point I'm trying to make... And failing. And failing is that I could feel these artifacts heading off in all these directions, and I could feel myself being pulled in all these directions. Like a little part of me was traveling with one artifact, another part of me with another, and I was being stretched apart. That sounds bloody painful. No, it wasn't at all. Like I said, it was similar to your journey, I think where it wasn't so much a physical but a mental awareness of what was going on. I think he said, omnipotent. I felt myself being drawn all these ways, and it was okay. And I think the map table is also like that tower you saw, Steve. A nexus, a focal point. A heart, as you said, if that's the heart of the Ostium network. Making Zhang the soul? I guess that could work. What do you think, Zhang? The idea of a soul is a purely human one based on spiritual beliefs. If that is what you wish to consider me in the context of the Ostium network, I am happy to agree and accept it. Okay, good. So if that's the heart of the Ostium network, then the map table is the heart of Ostium. And that's what I was at this moment. The be-all and end-all. Where everything began and where everything ended. How did that make you feel? Relieved at peace like I was in the right place and everything had been okay 
everything was okay and everything would be fine. Makes sense with all your bizarro connections to Ostium. Yeah, now that you mention it, it totally does. But I was also curious. I wanted to know where all these artifacts were going. I wanted to find out. That's also totally you. I like to think so, and I'll consider that a compliment. So I picked one at random, the Birdman effigy, the artifact we had found on the island of Rapa Nui, Easter Island. It was much like your classic near-death experience, flying down a long, dark tunnel with a light at the end. Or perhaps like going through an ostium door. Yes, of course. Like I was going through a door in ostium, which is essentially what I was doing. On the other side, I beheld an alien world. I knew instantly I was a stranger in a strange land. The firmament was lit up with stars, constellations that were unrecognizable to me. And there was this massive moon that was way closer to the planet than our moon ever gets on Earth. A green moon, or tropical moon perhaps, and I could see other celestial bodies that were completely new to me. The landscape before me was actually quite like the moon, a powerful, almost blinding blue that made everything feel effervescent and pretty easy to see with the glowing ground and the brightness of the large moon. This also told me that there must be a sun within this system beaming its powerful light onto the gigantic moon. I could easily make out craters on its surface and also what could only be settlements. Whoever this alien race was, they had conquered space travel and settled at the very least of their nearest and probably largest satellite. And then I saw something that paralyzed me. I thought they were large birds at first, but then saw they bore anthropomorphic features. They looked like humans with wings. Where you expect arms, there were these beautiful long wings. They were high up on these ridges and dividing off, letting their great wings glide them down at incredible speeds. It was thrilling to watch. There must have been hundreds of them. Then far below, a large settlement with many more of these alien people, all with these incredible wings. They were congregating in large numbers and seemed to be celebrating. And then it hit me. The large moon? It must be at its perigee when it's the closest to the planet. This was truly a supermoon to end all supermoons. And before me was this festival for this special event. And then a hush fell on the large crowd, and I saw at the raised stage one of their flock, if you'll permit that expression, and the reverence and calm that everyone gave this being made it clear they were the leader of these alien peoples, whether societal or religious or spiritual or all of them, I didn't know. But they were majestic. In my mind, I thought this leader was possibly the female of the species, depending on the number of genders they possessed and what the leader might identify themselves as. They were dressed in this dazzling costume of rainbow colors, but as they all appeared anthropomorphic, they appeared what I think of as female. Then 
Then they suddenly raised their wings in a big, wide, outstretching motion and raised them up. Behind them, great flames erupted in red, orange, and yellows that made the wings burst with color and light. It was a dazzling spectacle that took my breath away. The wings came back down, revealing the mighty fire behind them. They began to flap, slowly at first, then faster and faster. As I watched with every other being at the festival, the leader rose into the air and continued ascending higher and higher. We kept watching and I wondered when they were going to change direction or fly back down, but they didn't. They just kept going up until I realized what they were doing. They rose for some time and grew smaller until they passed beyond the reaches of this planet and continued their journey to the giant moon. How long it would take them to get there, I didn't know. It wouldn't be as long to reach as compared to our moon, but how did they have the ability to do that? The power? The sheer stamina? And how could they breathe in space? Were these beings some kind of evolved species that could survive in space? Like, like tardigrades? Or did this leader possess a device to help them survive in the vacuum of space? I was so curious, but they were too far away now to see or know. I could see the revelers below continuing their celebration while the gliders began launching themselves from the high ridges once again. And then I felt a strange pull and wondered what it was. I resisted it, tried to keep myself on solid ground, but it wouldn't let me go. And then I was pulled back down the tunnel I'd originally come from and brought back to the map table to choose a new artifact to pursue. It looked like I was back on planet Earth. There was tall green grass gently bowing in the wind and big gnarly trees that looked like hunched over statues. But the smells told me it was familiar. A summer's evening, perhaps. The sun was going down slowly behind the distant hills. There were reds, yellows, oranges, and browns, and it was just gorgeous. The crickets were alive and well, singing their hearts out. Well, not really singing, because they don't sing. They rub specific body parts together. It's called stridulation. But the frowning look from Monica tells me I'm going way off topic. Sorry. Just trying to paint the picture here. There were crickets. Some birds. Your average twilight nature sounds, probably, somewhere around the middle of the United States. And my next automatic question was, what year? Then I heard a gunshot. Only, it sounded different from any gunshot I'd heard before, but I still knew it for what it was. I instinctively ducked down, like that was going to do something against the shot that had just been fired. Why do they do that in movies? It's not like you can duck down before the bullet hits you, unless you're in a real cheesy action movie. I heard them rip through the vegetation, and one smacked into a tree just behind me. Curiosity quickly got the better of me, and I crawled toward the tree. I wondered if someone had seen me and decided to try to take me out, or if they were aiming at something else and I was just caught in the crossfire. Talk about unfriendly warning shots. There was still enough light to see the tree and where the bullet had embedded in the wood. 
found a jagged piece of stone on the ground and began chipping around the hole and soon had the whole bullet out. Only, it wasn't your usual bullet shape. Even after penetrating the tree and being considerably squashed, this was a small, heavy metal ball about the size of a small marble. It was a musket ball. Okay, that told me the time was way back when. Not as far back as Roanoke by any means, but sometime in the 19th century, possibly even the American Civil War. You got all that from a musket ball? Of course. Let me guess, honey. It's one of your oh-so-healthy hobbies slash obsessions. How did you guess? Really? Yeah, it started with Bernard Cornwell. He's a British author. Yeah, I've read him. He did these great sailing thrillers. Loads of fun. Well, he's more well-known for his Richard Sharp series set during the Napoleonic Wars. Sharp is this guy who started out as an orphan, like Oliver Twist, with no hope for anything, then joined the army and turns out to be really great at killing people. There's like over 20 books, and through the series, he gets promoted. But anyway, in each of the books, Cornwell goes into detail about the musket, as well as the rifle later on, with the eight grooves that help spin the musket ball and make it more accurate. So before I bore you all to death, I'll just say I've learned a lot about muskets and rifles and these little nine-ounce balls. They were also used in the U.S. during the Civil War. So it didn't take me long to realize that's what I was holding in the palm of my hand. Even though these were primitive weapons by our modern gun standards, they were still plenty deadly and killed a lot of people throughout history. Sharp got hit by a musket ball a number of times, and the graphic detail of his suffering made it clear I didn't want to be taking any risks. Especially since medical help during this time was not something I would wish on my worst enemy. Even the other Jake Fisher? Yes, even him. Back to the battle. Naturally, all these thoughts occurred to me in a few seconds, and I hunkered down as low as I could, crawling around the trunk of the tree and seeking the best cover I could find. Then I got my feet under me and got back to a standing position, using the wide tree as my protection. A crazy idea occurred to me as I looked up at those thick, heavy branches. I started climbing precariously at first and even slipped a little. I thought I was going to fall right into the line of fire. And yes, Monica, before you say anything, I know this was reckless, but you know how it is when I get an idea in my head. You can't fucking let it go. Exactly, but I made it up the first layer of branches with only a few hiccups. But that was still only six feet off the ground. I needed to be sure, so I went up a few more branch levels. Or brevels, if you will. I won't. Disallowed. Fair enough. I found the right sturdy branch and slowly inched myself out onto the near end, but stayed far enough back before it started bending. I may take risks sometimes, but I'm not stupid. Jury's still out on that. Ouch. Although you're here now, so I guess you managed to pull through somehow. <laughs> Thanks for the resounding encouragement. But my whole reason for doing this death-defying effort was to give me a better and much safer view of the battle going on below. It totally worked. From up here, I could see that there weren't that many men on each side, maybe 50 or so. It was really more of a skirmish than a battle, I'd say. But still, absolutely fascinating to watch in the flesh, or in the non-corporeal ether, or whatever hell state I was in at that point. 
I could see each side and even what the men were wearing. It's important who's on your side and who's the enemy when you're firing blindly into all the smoke and noise, so your uniform is important. Johnny Red with the Confederates was decked out in a light gray garb with that square-shaped hat, while the Union soldier Billy Yank wore the darker, distinctive blue, so one could do their best to avoid friendly fire. But with the light fading fast, it was already pretty hard for me to see the men clearly among the foliage. So, can't imagine what it must have been like down on the ground with the gunshots and all the smoke and the waning light. You generally want to avoid a fight at night for exactly this reason. And that goes for any kind of fight. Very true. Shortly after, both sides stopped shooting. There was no point. You might randomly hit the enemy, but you were also just as likely to hit one of your own men. It would just be wasted ammo, which wasn't exactly a limitless supply for these guys. But that's when I heard the sound. I hadn't heard it since the earlier time in the Ostium network, but I recognized it right away without question. It meant a door had been opened into this world from the Ostium network, but it was too dark to see, so I just hung on up in the tree trying to make out any detail I could below. It's pretty fruitless. I couldn't see a damn thing, and what I thought I could see was just my imagination playing tricks on me. What definitely wasn't a trick of my imagination were those screams. They turned my blood cold. I wanted to jump down and help them. Maybe I'd land on someone and find out right away what was going on. But I was also terrified. I don't know what was out there, what that something was doing to those men. And I didn't really want to find out. Like I said, I take risks, but only ones where I know I have a fighting chance of coming out alive. I didn't know what happened to them, but the silence made me want the screams to come back. As it stretched on, it became a lot worse. I wanted out of here, and fast. But I wasn't feeling anything pulling me back like it had on the planet with the winged beings. So I decided to take matters into my own hands, like I've done previously with Ostium. I pictured in my mind that tunnel again, where I'd come from, and I imagined whatever it was that caused that pulling sensation. Something invisible but tangible, which could affect change. And I imagined it reaching out to me and taking hold of me and pulling me back. And then it happened. I was going back, away from this creepy-ass place and back to the Ostium network. But it wasn't fast enough for me, so I increased the throttle and zipped out there like nobody's business. Bloody hell. How did that make you feel? It made me feel strong, powerful, and like I just added another arrow to my quiver. (laughs) Your what? My quiver. What the hell is that? Something you put arrows in. I'm pretty sure that's not what it's called. I'm serious. It's called a quiver. Sounds like something you write with. No, that's a quill. Well, now I know you're making shit up. What? Jake. Are you kidding me? Jake. What is it, Jean? Monica is fucking with you. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) You got me again. You're pretty easy to get, Jake, I have to admit. I guess. I think Monica's just really good at it. She sells it so well. I really do, don't I? Shall we continue on to your next port of call? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. The next artifact to jump out at me was a small polar bear we got from Angie Cooney. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. At first, I thought I was back there in Anjakuni because it was cold, damn cold. I mentally prepared to freeze my ass off, but was surprised to find the inclement weather had no effect on me. I didn't feel cold, but then I didn't feel hot either. Didn't really feel anything, which was just fine by me. After looking for those specialized huts and not seeing any, I decided this wasn't Anjakuni. Also, there was the fact that the bright shining sun in the sky had more of an orange color to it, less the strong, vibrant yellow I'm used to from Seoul. This told me whatever galaxy I was in, in whatever pocket of the universe, this star had burned through a lot more of its hydrogen and was getting closer to its eventual end. 
And then there was that. I definitely wasn't on Earth this time. It was a polar bear bonanza. Of course, I can say that now, knowing I wouldn't be shortly ripped to shreds by these magnificent beasts and devoured. There must have been more than a hundred of them. They were similar to Arctic polar bears, but also not at the same time. Some were the same size, others even bigger, and one or two were twice the size. So we're talking like approaching elephant size. Pretty scary stuff. But it was about then I realized they weren't paying any attention to me, even though it felt like I was standing only ten feet away. That's because I wasn't really there. To them, at least. I was, for all intents and purposes, invisible to them in my incorporeal state. Meaning, for each of the trips I'd taken through these artifacts, I'd never been in any danger of being seen. After that, my heart rate quickly returned to normal, and I was able to study these amazing animals from another planet in more detail. It wasn't just their size that made them seem different from earthly polar bears. Some of them had a more creamy or yellow-colored fur. Their ears were larger and pointed like a dog's. Their paws were also different. The leg looked normal, a thick trunk, but ended in a paw that was flat and spread out wider than the rest of the leg. It reminded me a little of a snowshoe, so my assumption was that they evolved these feet for the specific terrain they lived on. Maybe here the snow had a different composition. Was it more slushy, perhaps? Maybe it was harder to walk on with smaller feet, so they had evolved these snowshoe feet. I realized I could test my theory since I was invisible to them, but still had a tactile connection to this world. I looked down at my feet, which were standing on the snowy ground, and I saw it wasn't like when one normally walks through snow. There's the crunch and sinking into the frozen water, which can be shallow or deep depending on how thick the snow is and how deep it goes. But it looked like I was just standing on top of the snow and not sinking into it, you know. Just like Legolas does when he shows off for the rest of the Fellowship when they're attempting to scale Karadras. Nerd alert. You're also the nerd for getting the reference, which I didn't explain. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, I've tried playing the nerd card beforehand and it doesn't really work. Because we're all nerds here. A Fellowship of the Nerds, if you will. Well played, Zang. Anyway, we get your long-winded point, Jake. Thanks. So to test my hypothesis, I started walking and immediately sank down up to my knees. I kept sinking, like it was quicksand. I actually started panicking. Okay, fine, I couldn't be seen by anyone or anything here in this realm. But that didn't mean the natural environment couldn't still kill me. Maybe it could. Maybe it couldn't. But I didn't really want to confirm that theory one way or another. I tried to keep calm and concentrated. I imagined myself rising up out of the snow and just standing on top of it, thinking of that light-footed elf. Then I opened my eyes and let out a deep breath. It worked. And I wasn't going to be drowned in slush, thankfully. So my theory had been proved, and this likely explained why all these polar bears had such large feet. It might also mean this whole planet was covered in this slushy snow that might have an entire ocean underneath it. The weaker sun could even be the reason for this. 
there was less heat coming from it, making the planet colder and causing this slush snow to be a permanent formation. So now that I'd established I could float on the snow and slush and whatever surface I wanted to, I guess, and not be seen while doing it, I turned my focus back to... La Ber Polar. The fuck is that? You mean you haven't heard of Le Bear Polar? I get it. It's a stupid polar bear in stupid French. Is that supposed to mean something? I take it you're not familiar with the fantastic radio show Cabin Pressure? <sighs> Never fucking heard of it. How about you, Steve? Sorry, mate. Not ringing any bells. Okay, strike two. How about you, Jean? A British comedy radio show that ran from the 2nd of July 2008 to the 24th of December 2014 about an airline named MJN Air that only featured one airplane nicknamed Gertie. There were four series with a 2010 Christmas Day special episode and the show's finale entitled Zurich, which was a two-part special. Each episode was named after an airport and intended for release in alphabetical order. However, series two and three were originally broadcast out of order. Okay, that's enough, Sean. Thanks. I didn't really need the wiki on it. Though the show did feature a young Benedict Cumberbatch before he was a big celebrity. Did you just say Benedict Cumberbatch? I did. Oh, that can't be a real fucking name. It is. I've got to admit, Jake, even to me that sounds pretty farcical. Like something in a carry-on film. It's true, I promise. And don't even get me started on what his fans were called. Dare I ask? Okay, you asked for it. Cumberbitches. Bloody hell. Jesus. I warned you. Anyway, in one episode, Martin, voiced by one Benedict Cumberbatch, he jokingly referred to a polar bear as... Le Bear Polar. And now this joke has become such a drawn-out mess that I regret even mentioning it. Let's just get back to the polar bears. I already explained how they didn't look like your ordinary polar bears, but it was how they were congregating with each other. I know that's a strange word to use to describe bears, but that's the one that feels right. With the grunts and growls and various bear sounds, they were clearly communicating with each other. And not just simple one-word nouns and objects, but complex sentences. They looked at each other with such depth and concentration that it was obvious they were conversing and even discussing subjects with each other about who knows what, but this was a species that was clearly evolved way beyond the normal polar bears we know of. I couldn't help thinking of Yorick Bernson from his Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. Okay, now that reference I got. Yeah, me too. Love those books. Good, it was like the town with the polar bears being able to talk with each other, though they weren't wearing armor or anything. And again, I had no clue what they were saying to each other, but it was just amazing to watch and kind of peaceful. They all seemed so patient and polite with each other. I could have watched for hours, but that's when... This time it was bright day and I saw the rupture in space and time appear suddenly and it was huge. Had to be at least 20 feet high. Not like the doors I've created before. This was a 
big, long, jagged tear through reality. It was ripped open further by whomever was on the other side. It didn't take me long to find out. They came through one by one, eight of them, and I could tell they were Ostium Network security with their matching uniforms. Like those who visit us in Ostium. Exactly like them. Only they had futuristic-looking weapons and special helmets that were presumably giving them oxygen to breathe in this alien atmosphere. They charged in, and as soon as they saw the polar bears, they opened fire with their weapons. They may have been alien creatures, but they could be hurt like anything without protection on Earth. The blood of these polar bears was a dark blue, and it ran like an inky river and the sounds were just horrible. They weren't immediately defeated. While they had seemed so quiet and calm before, some of their number began to die. They erupted in anger and determination. They attacked with a ferocity that scared me. I'd never seen an animal become so vicious and bloodthirsty. It didn't take long, and soon the guards began to fall. In less than a few minutes, there were only two of them left. One sacrificed himself so the other, a woman I think, could make it back through the rip and survive. The rip quickly sealed up and she was gone, and there were just bodies left. I thought the bearers might take out their revenge on the corpses or even eat them or something, but they didn't. They walked away, ignoring them, and turned to their own victims. Six of their group had been murdered. They carefully picked each of them up, sometimes two bears to one dead one, carried or dragged them away from the place of death and destruction. I could feel the pole beginning to take me to the map table, but I needed to know what they were doing with their dead. I made myself float along the snow following them, The pole grew stronger. I tried my best to thwart it, but it had little effect. As I was slowly pulled away, I watched the bears put down their fallen brethren and begin to dig holes into the slush and snow. Deep holes. As the darkness closed around me, I realized what they were doing. They were burying them, digging graves for their dead. almost unbelievable and incredibly sad. I was ready to leave at that point, just wanting to get out of there. As that force pulled me back, I not only let it, but used my abilities to speed my journey back to the map table. I'm sorry, Jake. It must have been really hard to see. It was. It was harder because they weren't human. They weren't like us. They didn't deserve that at all. They were this unique species on another planet. And then people came and blew the shit out of them, like they always do. Not just any people. Yeah, Steve's right. It wasn't just any fucking people. It was those goddamn ones from the Ostium Network. The ones who pride themselves on fucking shit up and hurting people in the process. Just like they've been doing since the beginning. After you hear everything I have to say... That fact is going to hit even harder. 
So what artifact did you go with next? At this point, they were all starting to fade, and I took it as a sign that my strange and mysterious journey was coming close to ending. There were only two left, so I chose the closest one, a shiny hunk of gold with incredible design work on it that I got from the two British guys, Kane and Fields. As I said, like Holmes and Watson, only for the paranormal. Very cool. They were. And they let me have this artifact, which apparently is kind of priceless. Sutton who, I think they said. As in the medieval hoard known as the Sutton Who treasure from the British Museum? I guess so. Yeah, priceless. Okay, well, that was the one I chose next and went down that familiar dark tunnel for the penultimate time. And I found myself in some old Viking town. At least it looked somewhere in Scandinavia to me. I guess it could have been that place in North America where they think the Vikings might have first landed. Vinland. How do you know that? Plus the Sutton Who stuff. What? Jake has to be the fucking professor with everything? (laughs) Can't a girl know some shit too? Yes, of course. I just didn't expect one of your specialties to be the Middle Ages. Well, I liked reading about it when I was younger. Took a few extra credit courses in college too. They were fun and interesting. Plus, there was some pretty gnarly architecture and building going on at the time. I'd say I'm impressed, but I think you might punch me. And you would be right. So watch it, Buster. Will do. I just got the vibe from how everyone looked and what they were wearing and the language they were speaking, which I obviously couldn't understand a word of. I'm not going to lie, it kind of felt like some Norse god because I was hovering over the town. It was pretty discombobulating to start with, but once I realized I wasn't going to drop out of the sky and slam into the ground and kill myself, I slowly got hold of my fear and forced myself to calm down. It was kind of fun watching everyone going about their business. It looked like a bustling town with lots of goods being exchanged and everyone, for the most part, working in a sort of harmony. I heard a certain word repeated a number of times. Burka, I think it was. That might have been the name of the town. There was a good, solid wall built around it, ensuring it could be protected from any invading armies or whatever else might be thrown at them. That is, except for what actually happened next. Take your time, mate. Thanks. But I'd rather get through as much of this as I can and get it over with. Nothing seemed to happen for quite some time, and I wondered if I was there just to enjoy the scenery, which I had no problem doing. And then... Like before, it came out of nowhere, only it was much larger this time. The rip in the fabric of reality was so much more than a rip. It was a sundering fucking vertical earthquake through the sky. Looked like it might stretch for over a mile, and it went deep into the ground also. The ground rent apart most of the north side of the wall, which fell straight into this giant hole that opened up. A vertical maw that took a good chunk of the town into it, and many lives. The opening of the rift caused a shock wave that rippled through the rest of the town, and it was like the ripple you see in those atom bomb tests, 
along with the same devastating effects. The buildings were just demolished, reduced to rubble like they were nothing more than sticks and hay and not good solid mud, brick, and stone. This was the ultimate big bad wolf, and the people were the helpless pigs with no solid, strong house to hide in. They were all killed. Every fucking one of them. I... I waited. Waited for everything to settle. It took a long time to see if there was any movement, any sign of life. There was nothing. As for the rip, it just hung like the world's greatest fucking mistake. I waited longer to see if anyone would come through. It wouldn't be hard. So fucking huge. Plenty of room. But no one did. And then... Just closed up like it had never been. I suppose it was quieter than when it opened through this reality because the damage had already been done. Healing it was a quieter affair. The silence was palpable. Nothing. No movement. No life whatsoever. Anywhere. And that was the way it would stay for who knows how long. Years. Decades. Centuries, perhaps. And no one would ever know what happened here. Except for those at the Ostium Network who did it. Yes, except for them. And for us. We know. When I felt like I could go on, I brought myself back along as fast as I could go, wanting to get to that last artifact and end this whole fucking charade once and for all. final artifact was the eyeball, the one we picked up. Ugh, at that fucked up house with all the corpses. Yes. But, but that place isn't like that anymore, remember? You saved them, Jake, and it never happened, right? Yeah, Steve, you're correct. Maybe that explains why the eyeball wasn't covered in blood like it was when I picked it up off the floor in that horrible room. Or perhaps the map table comes inclusive with a nifty cleaning service? (laughs) Sorry, guys. I'm just trying to lighten the mood a bit. I appreciate it, Steve. It was kind of funny. A little. Just a little bit funny. That's all you're getting. Fine, then. I found it amusing, Steve. Thanks, Zhang. Glad to know someone's on my side. Anyway, I went down that tunnel for what I thought was the last time and found myself in a rocky terrain that just felt like it was really long ago, like tens of thousands of years in the past, maybe even hundreds of thousands. The rocks looked like, well, like rocks, rocky outcroppings, nothing special there. But all the plant life around me looked different, like nothing I'd really seen before, but still a little familiar. And the sun and the sky and the surrounding terrain pretty much convinced me I was still on Earth. I heard movement in a cave and decided to investigate, since I knew I couldn't be seen. I went inside and heard... I don't know what species of hominid he was, but he was hunched over and sort of walking and dragging himself along. 
I also knew it was a he because he was naked and very clearly male. I wondered if he was going back to his own people in the cave. Would there be others inside like him? Maybe his family? If you could call it that. His community, perhaps. Although I couldn't hear anyone else. I expected it to get darker, but it soon started getting lighter, and I realized the tunnel led to an opening where there was sunlight streaming down. Once the man was through, I soon joined him in the opening, which was just gorgeous with its lush vegetation. It looked like a very comfortable place to call home. The hominid reached behind a bush and drew out some sort of animal skin. Then from another place, he picked up a piece of rock that had a sharp edge and started scraping away on the inside of the fur that still had gristle and meat from the animal it had originally belonged to. Like the Viking town, this was also kind of peaceful and enjoyable to watch in its own way. I mean, paleontologists and anthropologists just get to theorize about all this stuff with the evidence they're able to find, whereas I got to experience it firsthand, in the flesh, so to speak. That was fucking terrible. Yeah, I know, but I couldn't resist. And you never can. Yeah, I guess you're right. wasn't much of a rip this time. Small, but enough to let someone through. A single someone. He stepped through cautiously, like he didn't know what he was doing, and then I saw his face in an older and different man. It was the other Jake Fisher, and he'd just come through an ostium he had made. The hominid stopped what he was doing, as he had seen this stranger come through into his world. He couldn't begin to comprehend what had happened but he knew it wasn't right. He slowly stood, holding on tight to the sharp rock, which had now become a weapon. Other Jake checked himself all over, as if to make sure he wasn't missing any pieces of clothing or body parts. I think this might have been his first time ever coming through an ostium. When I heard the sound, I had instinctively ducked back into the tunnel, even though I was out of harm's way no matter where I stood. Other Jake looked up and saw the hominid and tilted his head like a confused dog. But the expression he wore was one of disappointment. Guess he had expected something better or wanted to arrive somewhere more interesting than here with this primitive man. Nevertheless, he confidently reached into the pocket of his pants and withdrew a familiar small pistol. He pointed it at the hominid. It didn't kill him. Other Jake had intentionally hit the man in the stomach. He would die, slowly, and in a lot of pain. Other Jake walked up to him like he was a piece of trash and from his other pants pocket took out some sort of electrical device. It looked a little like the handheld PKE meter from Ghostbusters, only bigger and heavier. Other Jake reached out with the machine, which had two cloche prongs almost like horns, and brought it close to the man's chest. Then he stood there and waited as the man bled to death. It took eight minutes. I counted every second. After the man died, other Jake stood up and turned off the machine. Then he glanced at the tunnel where I was standing. He fucking saw me. As soon as I saw his expression, I turned and ran back down the tunnel as fast as I could. 
and then I willed the pull to come to me and sweep me away. It did without question, and I found myself back at the map table, feeling like I was about to have a heart attack. He really fucking saw you? Yes. You're absolutely sure? Without question. Then we've got a big fucking problem on our hands. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Alex C. Talander. The part of Jake is performed by Chris Fletcher. The part of Monica is performed by Georgia McKenzie. The part of Zhang is performed by Emily Wong. The part of Steve is performed by Alex C. Talander. Sound design was done by the wonderful Mike Nye of Hail and Well Met Podcasts. For more information, check out hailandwellmetpodcast.com. And a big thank you to Marcel and Libby from Free to Use Sounds. The music featured in this episode is Colorful Connections by Simon Slater, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. Be sure to check out the artist at freemusicarchive.org. The theme song was composed by Chris Fletcher. Thank you to all our patrons on the Ostium Network Patreon. You make this show possible. If you would like to support our shows, you can do that at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. You'll get access to lots of bonus material, including brand new episodes of the Ostium Sagas, the monthly Ostium Network update, and lots of other goodies. For more info on Ostium, our other shows, transcripts, and merchandise, you can visit ostiumnetwork.com. The Ostium Podcast is a member of the Rusty Quill Network. For other great Rusty Quill shows, be sure to check out rustyquill.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week for a new episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.